the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the, good, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is God's word. You may have a seat. I think y'all were actually supposed to sing the Gloria Patri. My fault. <laughs> uh, again, um, thank you for having me here this morning. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Again, my name is Ross Lockwood. And I am the RUF campus minister at Western Kentucky. Um, you may not know what that means. Um, essentially, as Paul said, I am your missionary sent um, by this church and by some other churches in the Nashville area um, to that strange and wonderful place that is known as Western Kentucky University. Um, and so I come here this morning very grateful and very honored. And it is an honor to, to be able to bring you the word because I'm so encouraged by your faithful support of us. Um, your prayers and your support in so many ways means a great deal uh, to us, and it has been an honor for me to see God use you um, on campus at Western Kentucky through your prayers and your support. And so um, thank you for having me this morning. A little bit about myself. Um, I, uh, I have a wife. Uh, we've been, my, name, my wife's name is Ann Todd. We've been married for eight years and we met, actually, in RUF at my alma mater at Mississippi State University, where I graduated with a degree of public relations and psychology. And we have two boys, um, Bo, who is almost four years old, and Ira, who is one years old. And I wish that they could have come uh, to be with us this morning, but as you parents know, taking a one and a four-year-old anywhere is difficult. Uh, and so they are at home, but they send their greetings, and they wish they could be here. Um, the passage that we just read, um, I'll give, well, obviously we'll talk about it more in a moment, but I just want, before I pray, I want you to have a little bit of context about what you just read. The, uh, the John that, were, that was mentioned in Matthew 11 is John the Baptist. And the reason why I'm bringing this word to you this morning is because this is a passage that has been very encouraging to me um, over the years. And I hope that this morning that it'll be encouraging to you to see the story that this interaction between John the Baptist, someone who knew Jesus, someone who had preached about Jesus for a long time, someone who had even baptized Jesus, uh, this interaction to me uh, just gives me a great deal of encouragement and hope, and I hope that it does so for you as well this morning. So before I continue going on, let me pray and ask for God's help. Uh, <clears throat> Father, um, I just thank you again for this opportunity that you have given to me to come here and to share your word. Father, if I am to speak on my own power, my own will, then um, nothing will happen, <laughs> to be honest. I will just be hot air up here, just speaking words that don't do anything. But Father, if you would speak to us yourself through your word and by your Holy Spirit, and if you would show us Jesus, then our time here would be well spent. And so I, I ask that you would do that. Would you please give me your Holy Spirit? Would you speak through me? Would you comfort those who need comfort? Would you encourage those who need to be encouraged? Would you exhort those who need to be challenged? And for all of us, would you show us the beautiful grace that we have in Jesus and would we find our life in him? 
We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. So a, a movie has come out recently. Um, some of you have probably seen it. All of you will probably at least be, will at least recognize the title. But the movie is entitled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Um, I'm just curious, have any of y'all seen this movie yet? Uh, a few hands have gone up. Okay, well, uh, as, you, as some of you probably expect, Won't You Be My Neighbor is a movie about Fred Rogers, um, or as most of us know, Mr. Rogers. And the movie recounts his life uh, and the story and how he came to be the TV host of the children's show, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that many of us have probably seen or at least heard about. And I really love the movie. It's very well done. Um, but if you know anything about Mr. Rogers, you know that one of the main things that he really truly believed at his core and that he really wanted to share was that every person in the world is worthy of love and capable of loving. That was something that was sort of a constant refrain of all in all of his episodes. He may have not have said it just like that, but he would say things like, you are special, you're my friend. Um, and he would communicate to his audience that they were worthy of love and capable of loving. And the, the, the movie goes into how he came to believe that. He himself actually was a minister, and so a lot of what he believed actually came from his understanding of who God was and what Jesus had done for him. But what I find very interesting in the movie is that this thing, this belief that Mr. Rogers held so deeply in his soul and that he communicated so frequently and so often to his listeners was actually something that he really struggled to believe. It was actually something that he struggled his entire life to hold true. And I found that amazing, that this thing, this, this, this idea that every single person is worthy of love and capable of loving, it was communicated and conveyed and received by millions of people and it still is, but he himself struggled to believe it. And when I read this passage in Matthew 11, I find a similar situation going on, where we, we hear about John the Baptist, which, again, was Jesus, if you don't know, he was Jesus' cousin. This was a man who had preached that the king was here. We read in Matthew 3 that he was proclaiming to people the king has come, the kingdom has arrived, repent and believe the good news. And he was telling people that one is coming after me, talking about Jesus, one is coming after me of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. And he even baptizes Jesus, and as he baptizes Jesus, he hears from heaven the words of God the Father, saying, behold, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. John had known and followed and loved Jesus for a long time. But in this passage, we find him in prison. And we know from another chap from later on in Matthew that he was in prison because he was opposing the governor of sorts. Uh, his name was Herod. He was opposing Herod for something that he believed was sin. Uh, Herod had taken up a wife unlawfully. And so the, and so the governor had put him in jail. And Paul has, I mean, John has found himself in this situation that he doesn't really want to be in. He's experiencing this, this trial, and then all of a sudden, all of these doubts are raising up inside of him. And he sends messengers to Jesus, and you can hear the doubt and the desperation in his voice. He says, say to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, 
or shall we look for someone else, for another? And I actually find that very encouraging (laughs) to me. I find it encouraging to know that here is a man who had followed Jesus, preached Jesus, had shared Jesus, had pointed people to Jesus for a long time. Someone who uh, knew the gospel, but he himself experiences doubt. And so something I think that we all can resonate with is that what this passage tells us is that no one is exempt from, from doubt. No one is exempt from doubt, especially when following Jesus has taken us to a place that we don't want to be, or when following Jesus has led us to a place where now maybe we're experiencing trials or hardship or suffering. It's easy for us to come to a place where we ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the one, or shall I look for another, when we experience the loss of a loved one, when we've maybe prayed for God to heal someone for a long time, And maybe his answer has been no. God, are you the one? Or shall I look for another? Maybe when you've prayed for your friends to come to know the Lord and they just continue to make poor decisions, they continue to to rebel and to reject God, they continue to find themselves in bad places and you grieve over them. God, why don't you answer my prayers? God, why have you not healed this person? God, why have you allowed this, this hard thing happen to me? Why did you allow this hurt to come into my life? Are you the one, or should I look somewhere else? But what we see in this passage is that Jesus gives John a response. And in his response, we all can have confidence that he actually is indeed the one, that he is the Christ, that he has come. And so we actually can have confidence to know that Jesus is the Christ. And we can know that through three things. One, by what Jesus shows us what we need to hear. And what we, what we need to hear is a word of grace, right? Now, I know this is a, a PCA church, and so y'all are used to hearing about grace, so you're not surprised that that's what we need to hear, I'm assuming. But I, I love, I love Jesus' response to this situation. Jesus does not get defensive <laughs> when John's disciples come to him and say, are you the one, or should we look for another? I get defensive at, like, this... this like at anything, right? Every time I walk into like RUF, one of my students or a student might come up to me and say, hey, how old are you? Are you like 21? And like I immediately get defensive. I'm like, well, why do you think that? I'm your pastor. Don't you know that? Like, don't you? I mean, I've, I've preached the, the gospel like really clearly and like, you know, I know a lot about the Bible. Like, how can you say I'm only 21? Is it because I just look 21? Well, why are you making all these assumptions, right? I get very defensive. I think we all have tendencies to get very defensive. And I could, if I was Jesus, which I know that's not a good thing to say, but if I was Jesus, I'd be like, John, don't you know? You were there. Like, I, you baptized me. <laughs> like, you've been following me. How do you not know that I'm the one? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't get defensive. Jesus responds to him in grace. He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Poor, the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And I just want to stop and just say, friends, Jesus is not defensive about your doubts. <laughs> Jesus invites you to come to him wherever you are, with your fears, with your doubts, with your skepticism. Jesus has enough grace to give to you in the midst of your doubts. So come to Jesus messy. Come to Jesus 
the way that you are. We often don't. I think my prayer life often reflects this, right? When I'm struggling to pray, or when I'm struggling to believe Jesus, I just don't want to pray. And even when I'm like around students, perhaps, around other people, I often feel like I have to put on these big elaborate prayers to show that like I'm actually okay. But we don't have to do that. Jesus invites you to come with your skepticisms. It would be good to pray to Jesus, Jesus, I don't really believe in you right now. Or Jesus, I'm angry. Or Jesus, where are you? Where were you? The Psalms, by the way, are full of these kinds of prayers if you want to learn how to pray like this. Jesus gives us grace in our doubts. But he also gives John a word of grace. Why does Jesus respond to him by saying, go and tell John what you hear and see? The blind receive sight, lame walk, poor of good news preach to them. Why does Jesus respond to him in this way? It's not as if John didn't know what Jesus was doing. In fact, if you look back in verse 2, John, it says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, John was hearing about these things already. So why does Jesus respond to John in this way? Well, it's because Jesus isn't just giving John like, his, rep, his like, resume. He's not just like giving him, like, hey, look at all these great things I did. Wish you were here. Should have been there, I guess. That's not what he's doing. He's quoting scripture. He's quoting three different passages in Isaiah, one of them in which we read earlier, Isaiah 35. And he's reading these passages, and these passages from Isaiah 35 to Isaiah 8 are all about God coming to be with his people. He's saying, John, you're asking if I'm the one. Let me tell you, yeah. And I'm a lot more than you ever even thought of. I'm not just the Messiah. I'm not just, I'm not just this king that you think I'm just going to come over into Rome and, and take over all these things. I am God himself. I am God in the flesh. I have come to dwell with my people. I have come to enter in to the suffering that you've experienced. I've come to enter in to the pain. I've come to enter in and to bring healing. What you're seeing is the kingdom of God at hand. This is what God is all about. Healing the sick. Raising the dead proclaiming good news to the poor, making all wrongs right. I am God. He is making a divine statement, and he's saying yes, and this is how gracious I am. I've come as God in the flesh to make all wrongs right. That is what we need to hear. That is what we need to hear. This is why I've, this is my first time at Zion Press, but I'm assuming every single week Chad and Paul are preaching to you the same good news. It probably sounds repetitive to you, but it's because this is what we need to hear. God has grace for you. God has come to dwell with his people to make all wrongs right. That is what we need to hear. He's come to enter into our suffering and to bring healing. So that is what we need to hear. And my second question, or the second thing that Jesus invites us to see is, who do we need to hear it from? We need to hear this from Jesus, right? Jesus himself had to proclaim this good news to John. Only he had the authority to do it. But do you notice something about this passage? Something stands out to me. Jesus himself doesn't go and see John in prison. Did you catch that? The, the, the Gospels are full of these moments and when Jesus goes out of his way to go and visit someone. He goes out of his way to heal a centurion's daughter, to raise her from the dead. He goes out of his way 
to heal a demon-possessed man. Jesus goes out of his way time and time again to bring healing and to visit people and to meet their needs and to love them. But in this moment, he doesn't. Why? Why doesn't Jesus go to John? Why doesn't Jesus go visit him in prison? He doesn't do that. Well, apparently Jesus assumes that hearing this word from his friends was what, G- was what John actually needed. That actually John's disciples reminding him of the gospel was actually sufficient in what he needed to hear. And this is good news for us. Because if you're anything like me, I often wish that in my trials, in my doubts, in my suffering, that God would just give me a sign, right? Like, God, if you're there, will you please just, like, make a plate of bacon and eggs appear before me right now? Oh, uh, if you're not there, well, then this, you must not be real, right? Or, like, we ask, like, God, if, if you're there, would you please answer this prayer? Like, I'll do anything, um, right? Like, we often ask, we often feel like we need Jesus to speak to us in these, like, very supernatural ways. But he's spoken to us through his word. He speaks to us through scripture. He speaks to us through prayer, but he also speaks to us through one another. That's why he calls the church his body. And we're gonna talk more about this in a minute. But what I think is beautiful is that Jesus gives the good news to John's disciples, and then he commissions his disciples, John's disciples, to go back to John to remind him of the good news. But John wouldn't have done that if he hadn't revealed his need to his friends. Did you catch that? Think about this for a minute. John is telling his disciples that he's struggling with doubt. John is telling these men who he has probably poured a lot into, whom he has probably taught all about God and God's kingdom and who Jesus was. John is telling these very people whom he has poured his life into, his friends, people who knew him, hey, I'm really wrestling with this doubt. I am really struggling with this. He actually makes himself very vulnerable to these people who looked up to him. And it was actually them who reminded John of the good news. And so my question is, are you known? Do you make yourself vulnerable to other people? Do you allow others into your life? Do you allow other people to know your doubts? Do you allow others to know your fears? Do you, do you confess your sins to one another? James uh, 5, verses 16 through 17 is a verse that's been, been a lot to me lately. But it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That is a powerful verse. It is saying that when we confess our sins, when we are known and when others pray for us, there's actually great healing and power in that. And so do you go to others with your struggles? Because if John had never known, if John, if John didn't, didn't make himself vulnerable like that, his disciples wouldn't have gone to Jesus on his behalf because they wouldn't have known. And then his disciples would not have been able to have shared the good news and remind him of the gospel. We need to be known by one another, to confess our struggles to one another, and not just to our mentors, but to our peers and to those who we even help and to those who we mentor right? Because if you hide, you will not experience grace from, from one another. If you hide from God and if you hide from one another, you will, not, you will not be able to experience the good news in this powerful way that we are being invited to in this passage. 
And just a word of encouragement to you, Zion Church. John, this man who proclaimed the gospel, needed to hear it from his disciples. If that is true for John the Baptist, how much more is that true for your pastors? Church, I want to encourage you to encourage your pastors, <laughs> to encourage Paul, to encourage Chad, to encourage your session, to encourage your deacons, to encourage your staff, to encourage your parents, to encourage these people who pour into you. They need to be reminded of the gospel. <laughs> they are not free from fear and from doubts and from, and from sin. We are all in the process of sanctification right now. We all need to be reminded so encourage one another. Encourage those who pour into you. Ask them, hey, how's it going? Hey, how can I be praying for you? What's going on? And then when someone asks you, be vulnerable. None, none of us are exempt from doubts and from fears. Encourage one another. So Jesus gives us confidence by what we hear which is a word of grace. He gives, it, he gives us confidence that he is a Christ by who we hear it from, which is himself and through one another. But he also gives us confidence in a way in which we can hear today, in a way in which we can see today. Because if you're like me, you read this passage, and you hear all of these great things that Jesus does, right? Jesus, he, the blind, he says the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And I can read that passage, and often I can kind of get a little cynical in myself, even just reading that. Because I read that passage, and I think, okay, but that was like 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on earth, and Jesus was doing all these things himself. But what about today? We don't necessarily see Jesus walking around doing all these great miracles, what about today? These things don't just necessarily happen anymore, right? Or, or do they? Let me read you another passage from John 14. This passage makes my brain hurt. This verse is 12 through 14. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father whatever you ask in my name this I will do that my Father may be glorified in the Son if you ask me anything in my name I will do it if you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth friends this that this passage <laughs> ought to be incredibly encouraging as it is maybe confusing. How can it be that Jesus is saying that greater works than these, these things that he is doing, these things that he's telling John that he's doing, greater works than these will we do? What? How? How can that be? Well, it's because Jesus is still alive. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is still king. And he now dwells with his people by his Holy Spirit. That's why he says, it is good for you that I go away so that I can send my Holy Spirit to be with you. 
Jesus is still reigning. He is still the king. He is still bringing his kingdom to bear. And somehow, it is in his good will and good purpose to use us to do that. What on earth? Jesus, is call, Jesus calls us his body for a reason. It's because we actually are the hands and feet of Jesus in the sense that we are bringing the good news as we proclaim it as well. Jesus works through us. He uses us to proclaim and to demonstrate these things that he's talking about in Matthew 11. He uses us to bring healing. He uses us to proclaim good news to the poor, to give blind, to give the, the blind their, their sight. How does he do this? What does this even look like? Let me, if you, if you allow me, let me tell a story about uh, one of my students in RUF. This will be sort of like a, uh, an update on RUF, if you will, to you. Uh, thank you for your support again. There's a student in RUF. His name is David. I'm changing his name. His name is David. And David grew up in a Muslim-slash-atheistic family. Uh, and all he ever heard about was either that God was absent or that God was angry. And he grew up hearing this over and over and over again, right? Well, one day he uh, was invited by a friend to go to a different campus ministry, but he wound up at RUF anyway by accident. It wasn't an accident. It was God's work. Um, but he ended up in RUF. And he said, oh, I thought this was this other campus ministry, but um, I want, I'm just going to stick around to see what we are about anyway. Well, he stayed. It was great to meet him. And I could tell that he was very skeptical and that he had been hurt um, in a lot of ways. And uh, I met, introduced myself to him after RUF. And I was thinking I'll probably never see David again, right? Because he didn't even mean to come here. <laughs> But he came back. He came back. And he came back again for two years. He's been coming to RUF for two years now. And just a few weeks ago, he gave his life to the Lord. Okay? Which, praise God. I was so amazed. And I asked him, David, like, how did, like, what made you want to give your life to Jesus? And he said, you know, I had heard a lot from you about God's love and God's kindness and God's grace and God's mercy. And I'd heard these things before, of course, too, from other people and people who tried to evangelize to me before. But it wasn't until I was involved in RUF that I actually became convinced that the gospel is true because I experienced the gospel. I actually experienced God's love. I actually experienced God's grace. I actually experienced God's forgiveness through my friendships in RUF. That is what Jesus, is, I think, is talking about. He's saying we get to actually demonstrate who God is to one another. That we, that we can actually experience good news the, by proclaiming the good news to one another. That you actually can, can show someone what God's mercy is like when someone comes up to you and says, you know what, I really wronged you, and I'm sorry. And you look at them and you say, don't ever think about it again. You're forgiven. That's how you actually experience God's mercy. You can actually experience God's, God's healing 
Yes, we, we ask for God to bring healing. We can pray for God to give healing to people. And he often does, and we should expect God to heal. And we should look forward to God healing people through our prayers. He loves to do that. He's still alive. He does that. And you can experience God's healing in that way. And you can also experience God's healing by sharing with someone a story that was really hard for you, something that's been really hurtful and deeply painful, maybe a story from your childhood that no one else really knows. And having someone else sit in that, in that story with you and say, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. I'm with you and I love you. You can actually experience God's healing in that way as well. We can experience, uh, we don't have necessarily lepers walking around. <laughs> um, uh, probably Columbia, maybe Columbia has lepers, I don't know. This is my first time here. Lovely city. Haven't seen any lepers. But uh, we can pray for God to bring healing to people, but also you may know that lepers were, were the outcasts of society, right? A leper was socially not able to be around other people, and spiritually they were separated from God because they couldn't go worship in the temple. So lepers were these outcasts, relationally and spiritually, and Jesus cleansed them. He says, you can cleanse lepers too. You can go to the outcasts, to those awkward people that everyone avoids, the people that you know if you try to have a conversation with, like, it's not going to go anywhere. It's going to be really uncomfortable. You're going to be trying to, like, fill the, the void of conversation by just, like, talking about whatever because they won't talk. Or you can go to, the, to that person at your work who, uh, who maybe is really hard to get along with, who's often brings it up conflict and is always like fighting with others. But you can actually cleanse the leper or show the cleansing work of God by actually loving that person, by loving the outcast, by going to the outcast and welcoming them into your home and to inviting them in. There are all kinds of ways in which we can experience and demonstrate God's healing now. And my friends, if you are doubting and if you are struggling to believe these things, it's probably in part, at least for me, I know for myself, a lot of the reasons why I struggle to doubt is because God has just become an abstraction to me, right? Like, I know about God intellectually. I know about his grace through uh, what I understand about scripture. I know about God's mercy and his kindness and all these things intellectually, but I haven't experienced it. And my friends, the way in which you can have confidence that Jesus is the Christ, that he's still alive, is by experiencing good news through one another. You can actually experience God's, God's grace and kindness through his body. And it actually becomes no longer just an abstraction, but a concrete, tangible thing of receiving God's mercy. Um, <clears throat> I'll close with, with this, uh, again, talking about Mr. Rogers. Um, Mr. Rogers died, uh, as many of you know, a while ago. It was actually early 2000s when he died. And even at the end of his life, he still struggled to believe these things. Um, so much so that at the end of his life, he turned to his wife and he said, am I a sheep? Which, to most people, that might seem like a really strange request, like to ask, like, am I a sheep? What do you mean by that? But as good Presbyterians, we might all know what he's talking about. What he was asking was, am I one of the sheep or am I one of the goats? Am I a part of God's people or am I not? And his wife looked at him and he said, she said, if ever there was a sheep, you are one of them. Now, I don't know why she said that. I don't know how she knew that. I hope that she grounded her answer 
uh, in the finished work of Jesus, saying, of course you are, because what Christ has done for you is complete, and he has grace for you. But what he's essentially asking was, am I still, am I loved, and am I worthy of loving? And what he needed to hear was from someone who, who knew, who knew him. And so my invitation to us all t- today is that when you're asking those questions, Jesus, are you the one? Is there grace for me? How can I know that you are the one? That we can actually have confidence by coming to him and by hearing his words of grace from scripture, in prayer, but also through one another as his body, by reminding one another of the good news and by experiencing it together as a church. That is my invitation to you. Let me pray. King Jesus, you are worthy of all praise and all honor. You are alive forevermore. You've conquered death. You've entered into suffering with us and have promised to bring healing. Father, help us. There are times when we really wrestle to believe these things. But your grace is sufficient for us. And you encourage us to, to show that we can have every right to believe that you, are, that you are the Christ, that you are the one to follow. Would you help us to demonstrate your love and your grace and your kindness and your mercy to one another? And would you, in so doing, so be so kind as to give us the joy uh, and, the, and the confidence um, of your death and resurrection? We ask these things in your name. Amen.